0: if you have a bible go with me to the book of isaiah if you have your device feel free to take it out and go to your bible app and go to the book of isaiah with me we are in a series through the advent season entitled god with us we're focusing on four words that the church around the world is really emphasizing uh, throughout this advent season Uh, hope, uh, peace, joy, and love. And as a congregation over many years, New Life has focused on various aspects of the church calendar because the church calendar helps us to pay particular attention to areas in our lives that we need to offer to God and pay attention to in our own spiritual formation. And so, for example, in the season of Lent, right before Easter, it's a period of time where we are to be led not by our appetites, but by God. It's an opportunity of fasting. Fasting is not simply to do something so that God would reward me and, and it's superstitious. No, it's basically saying I am not going to be driven by my appetites. I'm going to be driven by the will of God. We celebrate as the people of God at New Life the season of Easter and Eastertide, reminding us that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And because he's risen from the dead, all things are being made new. And it's an opportunity for us to pay attention to the resurrection of Jesus. We pay attention to Pentecost. Pentecost is a reminder that the Holy Spirit has come. Amen. And that their specific, the the, the very presence of God has drawn near to us. And we can walk in the power of God because the Holy Spirit has been sent. The season of Advent is very similar in that we are emphasizing hope. We're emphasizing waiting. Waiting for God to come. And Advent is a reminder that God has come in Christ already. Christ is coming on a regular basis, and one day he will come and make all things new. And so to that end, we're focusing on different words uh, for the Advent season. And today we're looking at a passage of Scripture out of the book of Isaiah, as we will be doing uh, next week and the week after. And this passage of Scripture is is phenomenal. And I want to tell you right now, I'm going to give you so much theological and biblical truth, good news, you're going to be like, Pastor Rich, wait, hold slow. You ever been to a Brazilian churrascaria restaurant where you're just, uh, the food just keeps coming, and then you put it on red, and you're like, no more, I'm good. And then you see them coming out, come, they say, come on, you want more? You, yeah, put it back on green. And you're just like, you keep stuffing in your face. This is a churrascaria kind of passage of Scripture today. I'm just telling you right now. And you're going to say, no, that's enough, Pastor Rich. I'm going to say, you want more? You're going to go, yeah, give me more, give me more. That's what we're going to find in this passage of Scripture. And so Isaiah chapter 9, we're focusing on peace, peace today. Isaiah 9, beginning in verse number 6. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Amen. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Lord, thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture. Thank you for the gift of this Advent season. And I pray your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive everything you have for us this day. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Last month, I spent a couple of days in Fort Collins, Colorado. And as part of this trip, a friend of mine took me to a place called Horse Tooth Reservoir. Horse Tooth Reservoir. We hiked down to the water, and, and, and by the time we hiked down and got to the edge of the water, it was one of the most uh, serene places I had ever been to. The air was crisp, the sights were serene, but when I got to the water, I really experienced a level of silence that I don't know if I've ever experienced before. It was about two minutes of just stillness. The waves weren't lapping on the shore. It was just utter silence utter stillness. And I just stood there with my friend, and we were just taking it all in. And I said, hey, can you take a picture of me just looking out uh, into this? <laughs> and then I saw the person to do a, do a better one there. And so I, I did it again, and he took the picture. But for about two minutes, it was absolute peace absolute peace and when i think about peace i think about that's what some of us want some of us want stillness some of us want, want want peace in that way silence in that way but i believe while that's a helpful description and picture of what peace is i do think there's a better biblical picture of what peace is and i want to share a story to help you see what i believe a better biblical picture of peace is. When I was young, uh, you, know, my, you know, 12, 13, 14 years of age, my brother and I, my younger brother, would play basketball with this little hoop that you would put on a door and play basketball in our room, and we would play and all that. And then when mom would leave, we would take that hoop and bring it to the living room because we just needed more space. And so we would put it in the living room and we would play Dad would hear us playing and instead of saying, stop making all that noise, he'd join us. And he'd join us and and we're playing in the living room. Now, what you have to know about my living room is that my mother had all kinds of figurines uh, in the living room, little dogs and little things there. And, and as we're playing and as, as, as the com- competitive nature of the game starts to continue, I remember one time the ball hit one of her favorite little dog figurines, and the dog fell to the ground, the ear came off, the nose fell out, and in that moment we felt the fear of the Lord just, just in the living room there. And in that moment, my dad and I and my brother looked at each other. First, my dad was going to say, that's was on you. That was on you. He was going to leave. I said, Dad, you can't leave us. We need to do something about this. And he got the glue, and we began to shalom the dog. We began to shalom the dog, putting it back. Together now, what, what shalom? Shalom in Hebrew is is the word uh, peace. Irene uh, uh, in the Greek, but shalom means harmony, wholeness, inner stillness, being put back together. And so, as we were working on that dog, like we were doing open heart surgery together, put the ear right there. We were shaloming the dog to get it to a place where its brokenness would be back put together. And so we put it back up there, acted like nothing happened whatsoever. About two weeks later, mom discovered the ear was not totally at the place it should have been. All shalom left the house (laughs) at that very, very moment. But when I think about shalom and I think about peace, I think about that exact, that's a better picture of what peace is, of being put back together. Together, You see, uh, it's often the case that we think that, that, that to have peace means to have the absence of conflict. To have peace is the absence of adversity. But true peace is not the absence of adversity. True peace is the presence of God in the midst of adversity. True peace is the presence of God working to restore stuff that has been broken. And when I think about our world and I think about your life and my life, I think about all the areas that's broken. Think about the brokenness of our world. For some of you, you came into church today and you're longing for for peace. You're longing for shalom in your relationships with your family. The Christmas season, the holiday season, for some people is about joy and festivity. But for others, it's a reminder That the family structure, the family system, the relationship that you're a part of, are not what they should be. That they're broken. To visit family is not always joy. It's a reminder of brokenness. And some of you came into church today, some of you watching online, are longing for the peace of God with your family. For others, we recognize the brokenness globally of our world. When you look at what's happened in Israel and Gaza Innocent people being killed, children being mercilessly uh, uh, bombed. We see the ongoing tensions in Israel and Gaza, and we long for peace. We long for something to be mended. We long for something to be made whole. And so whether we're talking about interpersonally in our relationships, whether we're talking about globally, whether we're talking about internally, some of you came to church today, and you recognize you're broken on the inside. There are scripts and messages that have dominated your life for many, many years. Scripts that you're not good enough. Scripts that you'll never be enough. Scripts that you'll never amount to anything. And you've lived with these messages that have been handed down to you or interpreted by you. And you're longing for wholeness. You're longing for stillness. You're longing for a sense of inner peace. And so the question today as we look at this wonderful passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 is where do you need peace? Where is there brokenness in your life? Where is something, where, what needs to be mended in your life? What needs harmony? What needs wholeness? What needs stillness? What needs to be shalomed? And as we hold on to that question, we look at the good news of this particular passage of Scripture. Isaiah is writing to a group of people who understand brokenness. Isaiah is writing to a group of people who understand what it means to be broken and shattered. Isaiah is longing and writing to a people who long to be put back together, mended and made whole. Before Isaiah chapter 9, from Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 8, what we find is a story of brokenness in the people of God. And isn't this the story of the entire Bible, of the brokenness of the people of God? And what we find is that through their own sin or being sinned against, they live in a very shattered, broken world. And basically, here's the cycle of the people of God in Isaiah chapter 1 through Isaiah chapter 8. What we find is that there is a, the people of God have a steadfast refusal to listen to God. They don't want to listen to God. Yet, at the same time, they continue with great, unshakable commitment to religious practices. And this is the irony, isn't it? that we could have great devotion to religious practices and not listen to God. And so here they are. They're still doing the religious stuff, but they're not opening themselves up to God. And in the process, there are acts of injustice that are going through them and coming out of them. And so God warns the people of God, watch out, judgment is coming. Watch out, turn to me. And then God announces, one day, things will be made right. Right? But because of their sin and being sinned against, they live in a state of brokenness. Can anyone identify with that? Because of our sin and because of the ways we've been sinned against, we live often in a state of brokenness. And in this brokenness, Isaiah the prophet gets a revelation, gets a vision that one day this brokenness is going to be mended. This brokenness is going to be made whole and it's going to come through the life of a child. That a child is going to be born. And this child is going to mend the world and shalom it. When I think about children and a child, in 2019, there was a child that took the world by storm. People were fixated with this child, fixated with uh, the abilities of this child. Something happened in the entertainment world because of this child. Of course, I'm talking about the child, <laughs> Baby Yoda. This child has a remarkable powers to sell toys. It's just amazing. If you've never seen this Star Wars show, talk to me after the service number one and uh, we'll, we'll help you get started. Um, but let me summarize for you. The show in a few statements. Number one, there are a number of people who are trying to kill the child. Number two, there are people who are trying to use the child for their own purposes. Number three, this child, wherever the child goes, is the center of everyone's attention, and this child has special powers. Does that sound familiar? When you read the New Testament, we have in Jesus a child that people wanted to kill a child who everywhere that child went was a center of attention a child who people want to use for their own purposes a child that has special powers when i think about star wars and i think about baby yoda i can't help but to think about baby jesus now the, grogu baby yoda is strong in the force But Jesus is strong in the Lord and he offers powers to mend the world, to shalom it, to bring it to peace. And so what I want to do is I want to Isaiah talks about the child and then says that this child has certain powers to mend the world. And what I want to do is I, I want to talk about the powers of this child, Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is, is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What Isaiah does in this passage is two things. Number one, he he reveals something about God, and he exposes something about ourselves. He reveals something about the way that peace is made through a particular God. And he exposes the false path that we take towards peace that never works out. And so as we look at this child, as we look at the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, we're going to get a revelation of who he is. And we're also going to be, something's going to be exposed in terms of the path that we think works for peace. And so in Isaiah's words, he says that the Messiah, the child, will have various powers, the first being this. This child will have the ability to carry the government on his shoulders. Amen. The child will have the ability to carry the government on his shoulders. Listen to this. As a child, Jesus could not lift anything. As an infant, no strength. But yet, here's the declaration over this child. Even though this child can't lift anything, the government will rest on his shoulders and if there's any time where we need a reminder of this good news it is today because we live in a time where our political reality we live in a time where our division our anger has damaged relationship because of who we believe truly can carry the government on its shoulders we are meant to believe in our day on social media and our families that the world will be made right that the government that the country will be run right when our candidate gets in power or our party is in control whatever your party is the the republican party the democratic party house party green party whatever the party is we believe as long as that person is in control things will be all right But if that person's in control, we are in trouble. And then you flip the script, it happens the other way. If my person is in control, if my party's in control, we're doing all right. But if that person's in control, we are in deep trouble. What Isaiah reminds us is that there's only one person who can truly carry the government on his shoulders. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Advent reminds us that the only one who is going to truly bring justice is the Lord Jesus Christ. Advent reminds us that the only one who can really heal our divisions is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who will make all things new is the Lord Jesus Christ. The current president can't do it. The next president can't do it. Whatever party can't do it. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom that is going to make all things new. This doesn't mean we have to be ill-informed. This doesn't mean we can't have conviction. This doesn't mean that we can't have a conscience and vote accordingly and engage the world accordingly. But it does remind us of this significant truth. Only Jesus Christ can carry the government on his shoulders. And so Isaiah is basically saying to the people of God, do you want deep abiding peace? Don't throw the full weight of your trust on another human being. You want peace? Don't throw the full weight of your trust on anyone else than the Messiah, Jesus. When Isaiah writes this, it reveals something about God. God can carry the world on his shoulders, the government on his shoulders, and exposes the ways that we trust in the power of the world. And so here Isaiah is saying, the child has the ability to carry the government on his shoulders. Then Isaiah continues. What else can the child do? What other powers does the child have? Number two, what we find in this passage is that the child has the wisdom to counsel us wonderfully. He's known as the wonderful counselor. And he has the wisdom to counsel us wonderfully. So many of us lack peace in our lives because we have not opened ourselves up to the wisdom of God. So so many of us are carrying brokenness for far too long that God longs to mend because we have not opened ourselves up to the wisdom of God. Isaiah says he's known as the wonderful counselor, that in Christ Jesus is the fullness of the wisdom of God. I believe we need counselors. I believe we need therapists, social workers, pastors. I'm a pastor. I believe we need all of it, and that wisdom is to be found there. I believe that wisdom from God often comes through therapists and counselors and social workers and pastors. But there is a kind of wisdom, a kind of countercultural wisdom, a kind of wisdom that when we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, that when we take the actual time to say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would you direct my steps? Lord, would you give me wisdom? There is a wisdom that's available to us when we open ourselves up to Jesus. Because he has the wisdom to counsel us faithfully. And yet what often happens is we live so busy lives, forgetting that we have this wisdom available to us. Isaiah, earlier in Isaiah chapter 5, he says about the people of God that, that, that they have been wise in their own eyes. Woe unto them who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them who have made decisions apart from seeking the wisdom of God. Woe unto them who believe that more information equals wisdom. And we live in a a generation where we have had, there's no more information we've had in history than we have today. But more information doesn't equal wisdom. All the Google searches in the world will not amount to wisdom. All the articles that we read, will not amount to wisdom. There is another kind of wisdom that's available to us that doesn't make sense to the world, and the Christ, the child, the Messiah, wants to give us that. I wonder, where do you need wisdom in your life? As you think about your finances, think about your vocation, your calling, as you think about your marriage, as you think about parenting, as you think about what 2024 has waiting for you, to what degree are you opening yourself up to the wisdom of God? To what degree are you saying, Lord, I need to take a few moments today to think about my career, to hold before you my children, to hold before you my marriage, to hold before you my career, my vocation, and Lord, I need your wisdom to fill my life. And here's the good news about Jesus. Here's the good news of the scriptures. If you ask for wisdom, he longs to give it. One of the first passages of scriptures that I memorized was in the book of James, in the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who, who that's not one, that wasn't it there, who, who does not, who, you should ask wisdom, who, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Do you hear these words? If you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously. God longs to give wisdom if we would ask for it, and yet, think about the decisions That you've made that have not opened yourself up to the wisdom of God. Think about the weight that you've carried. Because you have not said, Lord, what do you want to do in my life right now? One of my favorite hymns is uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there's a line that says, What peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I wonder today, what do you need wisdom about in your life? And to what degree are you opening yourself to that? The child, the Messiah, the Christ, has the ability to carry the government on his shoulders. He has the ability to counsel us with wisdom wonderfully. He's the wonderful counselor. But then Isaiah says that he has the might to uphold us. He's known as the mighty God, amen. He has the might to uphold us. And this is the mystery, this is the paradox of christianity the humor of christianity that in this child is found all the power and we would see that demonstrated as this child grows older jesus was the mighty god his, his might was such that sickness and disease had to flee his might was such that storms and winds had to cease His might was such that death had to die. Amen. His might was such that he is making all things new. The mighty God is here. And some of you came to church today, you're hanging on a thread, wondering if there is power available to you to keep you going. And I came to to let you know on this second week of Advent that the mighty God is here, that the mighty God wants to strengthen your life today. But here's the caveat, friends. It's often the case that we experience God's might only when we dare to confess our weakness. Are you with me? We only open ourselves up to the might of God to the degree that we are true and honest about our weakness. Isn't this what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12? He said, I boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because it is his strength, help me finish this, is perfected in weakness. The degree to which I'm able to identify and confess my weakness and brokenness is the degree to which I will experience the might of God. This is why, as I said before, whenever I'm in conversations with people about religion or Christianity, Inevitably, someone who maybe is not a Christian, not a religious person at all, they'll say, "You know what? Religion's not for me. I'm glad religion's helping you out, but religion and Christianity is really just a crutch for the weak." And whenever says, whenever someone says that religion and Christianity is a crutch for the weak, I immediately let them know you're wrong, because Christianity is far more than a crutch. Christianity is a wheelchair. Christianity is a stretcher. Christianity is a hospital. Christianity is a hearse. Christianity doesn't say you got to limp. Christianity says you're dead. And the only one who can make you come alive is the mighty God. That's the only one who can make you come alive. And so when someone says, I'm happy for you, but Christianity is a crutch, no, no, it's more than a crutch. I'm dead. And the only way I can come to newness of life is through the mighty God as revealed in the Christ, in the Messiah, in Jesus. And God has might for you. Some of us have not experienced the might of God because we've been trying to do things in our own might. We've been trying to fix things in our own ways, through our own solutions, through our own willpower. But here's the paradox of Christianity. The faster we are able to admit our weaknesses the faster we position ourselves for the might of God. And God only works with people who are broken. God only works with people who are weak, which is why, listen, I say it often, listen, if you come to our church and you're not broken, you're gonna mess our church up. (laughs) If you come to our church and you're perfect, you're gonna mess our church up. This place is for broken people. This place is for sinners. This place is for people who don't have their act together. This place is for people who have their own internal contradictions. This place is for people who are broken. And it is only when we recognize our brokenness as the people of God that we can position ourselves for the might of God. And so Isaiah says, this Messiah to come is the mighty God. Amen. But there's more. I mean, we could stop right here. You can put it on red right now, right? We're at this Churrascaria spot. You can put it on red by now, but there's more. Put it back over to green. I got more for you because he's more than just the mighty God. Isaiah says that the Christ will also have the tenderness to father us forever. He's known as the everlasting father. When the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, he comes to reveal the father to us. Jesus said as much. He said, when you see me, you see the father. And what you see in Jesus is the tenderness of the Lord. I imagine how much brokenness we are carrying because of our vision of who God is. Our vision that we have of God in our minds will either continue to keep us in brokenness or move us towards wholeness. This is why A.W. Tozer, a wonderful author, once said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God? For some of us, we stay in a state of brokenness because we think that God is vindictive and God is just ready to get you the next time you slip up. And so you live in a state of ongoing fear. Not awe, not wonder. That's really the fear of the Lord, awe, wonder. You're not living from that place. You're living from a place of at any moment, God's gonna crush me. And when you have that vision of God in your mind, you live in a state of brokenness that God doesn't desire for you. What has Jesus come to do? Brandon Manning once said that the primary revelation that Jesus comes to give is that God can be related to as Abba, as Father, as Papa. That God can be, God is tender towards you. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you think about your own sins, your own addictions, your own ways that you've slipped up, and you wonder, is there any mercy for me? You want to be put back together? You want to be shalomed? Allow the tenderness of Jesus to heal you. Allow his mercy to, to cover you. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because it shapes now the way that we live in the world. And so here's what Isaiah says. He has the ability to carry the government on his shoulders. He has the wisdom to counsel us wonderfully. He has the might to uphold us. He has the tenderness to father us forever. And this leads to peace. 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 This child has the peace to put you back together. I recognize in this church, there's so much brokenness. In this church, there's so much, so many people have been wounded. So many people who wonder, is there anything that God can do with my life? Advent says, God wants to do so much through your broken life. I think about the Japanese practice of kintsugi art, Kintsugi pottery. It's often the case that when a piece of pottery is broken, there's nothing that can be done about it. And you go, oh, that was my favorite piece of pottery here. And the only thing that can be done is to throw it out and go back to Michael's or go back to wherever you go and get your stuff there and get a new piece. But Kintsugi art is this beautiful practice of taking broken pieces, pieces that have been fractured and flawed, And to make them flourish again. Pieces that have, they they line them with gold as a means of showing where the cracks have been. And at the same time, where they have been restored. And what we find in Kintsugi art is this beautiful picture of what God does with us. When our lives are broken, when our lives like pottery get shattered, so many of us wonder, is there anything that God can do with me? Is there anything that God can do through me and in my life? I'm worthless. I'm trash. I should just be discarded. And God says, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Because I can work with broken pottery. I can work with broken pieces. I can put you back together again. And this is what God has for you, brothers and sisters. God longs to put you back together. God longs to mend you in ways that you cannot mend yourself. That's grace. That's mercy. That's compassion. That's salvation. That's God putting you back together. And so here's a question. Where have you said in your own life, this is broken beyond repair? I've come on the second Sunday in Advent of 2023. You're here. You're watching this right now because God wants to remind you there is no brokenness that's beyond my ability to repair. Amen. There is nothing so shattered that my salvation cannot mend and cannot heal. There's nothing so useless that my grace cannot touch and restore and bring back to life. You came to church today, some of you say, God has given up on me. But this this is what your life can be, utterly beautiful, not hiding the cracks. Not hiding the flaws, not hiding the brokenness, but allowing the mercy of God, the grace of God, the compassion of God, the salvation of God to make you what you cannot make for yourself. God longs to make each and every one of us a beautiful piece of kintsugi pottery, making us whole, making us new, not hiding the flaws but showing how flourishing can come out of the flaws. Not hiding the brokenness, but showing how beauty can come out of the brokenness. This is what this child can do. So I wonder today, what do you need? Where in your life have you said, this is broken, I don't know if this is even salvageable. Where have you given up? Where have you said, this area of my life, I don't know if I can move any further at all. Could you give Jesus another chance? Can you open yourself up to his grace? Can you open yourself up to his life, to the Spirit's activity in your life right now? God's not done with you. God's not done with your story. You might have said, "That, that was the end of the story. No more, no, no. God's writing new stories. God's mending pieces. And some of you came to church wondering, is there any future for me? There's a future for you. There's new life available for you but it requires us to open up ourselves to the God who is with us. Some of you came to church today feeling anxious about the world. Where is this world going? Here's the good news. This child Jesus can carry the government on his shoulders. Some of you came into church going, "Ah, I'm just so confused about what to do. Listen, give yourself to Jesus. He has wisdom to counsel you wonderfully. Some of you came to church today and wondering, I'm just, I don't know if if I can make it another day. He has the might to uphold you. Some of you came to church today wondering, does God God really love me? Allow the tenderness of Jesus to transform your life. And he's the Prince of Peace who can put you back together. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. We revel in the beauty of this passage. We rejoice in the truth that's been made available to us through the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for Holy Scripture. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the ways that you are at work right now in our lives. And, Lord, we ask that you would shalom us, that you would shalom the world, that you would put us back together, that you would mend us, that you would heal us. Jesus, we open ourselves up to you. We say your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And at this moment, Lord, the best thing we can do is just sing to you, sing words of worship and words of praise. And even as we do, we sing in confidence that you are at work at this very moment, longing to give us peace and to make us peacemakers in this world. We sing to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing in response.